You've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and supporting the Black Man with a Gun Show. This week, I'm going off script. How does a black person not get shot by the police? I'm going deep today. We're talking social. We're talking cultural. My special guest, Masada Ayub, talking about the court system, what you don't hear and what you don't see. Michael J. Woodland gives us some really good stuff about the AR-15. All this and more coming up next. This is a weekly podcast for the mature and the cool people in the gun community. The show's title is to inspire, not to incite. My name is Ken Blanchard. I'm a gun rights activist, an author, a trainer, and a professional speaker, showcasing the diversity of the gun culture with experts in hunting, gun rights, the justice system, American history, and self-defense. And it's done all with compassion for all people. Welcome to the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences. The past few days have been interesting. Not in a good way, though. It reminds me of the biblical accounts of when Jesus, after being with people, went away to be by himself. He went alone in the wilderness. Sometimes you just want to get away from the madness that exists. We should be creating more and consuming less. We should be leading more and following less. We should be contributing more and talking less. There should be more patience and less intolerance. There should be more connecting and less isolating. We should be writing more and watching less. There should be more optimism and less false realism, but that's not the case right now. There is a lot of passion right now, but no purpose. Purpose is the reason you take the journey. Passion is the fire that lights your way. There are people who are just saying stuff. They're saying stuff without an end game, without a plan, without a clue. They are basically passing on memes. And folks are falling for it every day. Reminds me of this clip from Batman. You remember it? With respect, Master Wayne, perhaps this is a man you don't fully understand either. A long time ago, I was in Burma. My friends and I were working for the local government. They were trying to buy the loyalty of tribal leaders by bribing them with precious stones. But their caravans were being raided in a forest north of Rangoon by a bandit. So we went looking for the stones. But in six months, we never met anyone who traded with him. One day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. So why steal them? Well, because he thought it was good sport. Because some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought. Bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. And I put that in here because some of the stuff that we listen to, we watch on Facebook, the comments that people love to incite, not helping a damn thing. This weekend, I celebrate my 55th birthday. I have lived through a lot. I have seen more than you can ever imagine. Wasn't on television. It wasn't on YouTube. I've been through some stuff. I remember going to church and or trying to go to church and my 
relatives, my aunt, my uncles tell me, you can't go to that church. I'm like, why not? That's white folks' church. I remember that. Yeah. I have lived and remember racial segregation. Not watched the video. Seen it. I remember when our school, I was in the fifth grade, when busing started. And we were moved from our neighborhoods to end segregation. Racial segregation is the separation of humans into racial or other ethnic groups. It's outlawed, but it still exists de facto through social norms, even where there is no strong individual preference for it. Usually no big deal since it's a social thing, but the situation is a problem when folks use it to incite, to inflame, to anger, to touch hot buttons. Then it's wrong. Now, the media is having a field day with this stuff. I'm getting an interview request almost daily. Hey, you're the black man with a gun. Is it true? And what do you think about Donald Trump? Are African-Americans arming themselves for the race war? Now, the way the question is posed, is there a race war? Are we doing it because of Donald Trump? The answer is hell no. But if you don't listen to the question, if you just play along with the thing, it's just the same as court. It's called leading the witness. When you take an interview and the question is posed to you and you have the opportunity to set the record straight, but you fall in line and answer the question and you acknowledge and you shake your head like a like a like that little dog in the truck. Yeah, you know, what I'm talking about a bobblehead and you fall in line and everybody else sees you and it assumed it must be true. I remember when the Ku Klux Klan actually put leaflets on the windows of our cars in the parking lot. The stuff you see today is not racism, is immaturity, is stupidity, but it's not like it used to be. But we got a whole bunch of people who want to be 60s revolutionaries, wannabes. Sorry, baby, you missed your decades. Racism still exists because you allow it, because you purport it, because you keep it going. Racism exists because you haven't stopped it. You fan the flames. You know, we live in the information age. You can Google just about anything. But all of a sudden, our world has become so polarized, you would think we had gone backwards. You and I need to change that. Many have fought and died to make it different to make it better. But we haven't been able to help the hearts of mankind shed hatred and fear for one another. There's two courts, public opinion and the criminal justice system. There's two cultures, white and black America. Sorry, Hispanics and Asians. You got to pick a side on that one. We still can't get it right. I'm waiting for the Star Trek generation to happen where you don't care if it's a blue guy or a Vulcan or a Romulan or whatever next to you. As long as you're part of the Federation, you're good. Right now, folks want you, want you to be on one side or the other. Stupid. There's always two possible outcomes. Conviction or exoneration. There's life and death. There's right and wrong. There's left and right. On July 6th, 2016, 
a man by the name of Philando Castile was fatally shot by a former St. Anthony, Minnesota police officer, Geronimo Yanez, and after being pulled over for a traffic stop. Castillo was a passenger in his vehicle at the time of the videos. The police officer was recently acquitted of the charges that he was on trial for. The only way we can fix this and every future problem in America is to talk this thing out. Stop the hate and communicate. Somebody sent me a clip of a comedian talking about the NRA should step forward and do something. When do they become our common sense and consciousness? They're a machine. They're an organization. How about you and me? Telling people to shut up. Clicking off their stuff, not even signifying and not even dignifying it with a response. You know, it takes two people to fight. Sometimes folks want you to get down in a dog pit with them and fling mud. Sometimes the smart thing is to do just look, look at them while they're down there and walk on by. You know, back in history, which we talk about a lot on this show, long before Sandra Blonde and Tamar Rice and Eric Gardner, Freddie Gray, Walter Scott, Jamar Clark, Laquan McDonald, Oscar Grant, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, and even Philando Castile were names that you heard about. Black men and women, Jews and Gentiles were getting lynched, hung. I dare say this is not the same thing. I don't care what you want it to be. It's not. We came so close of being what the dream was realized, where black and white were no longer an issue, where we were holding hands and and singing Kumbaya. We were real close to that. And the gun community was even better because anybody that would give you a gun was a brother or a sister. And the ones trying to take them away from us were the enemy. But now they successfully planted a seed that has allowed us to segregate ourselves. Are you hearing me? And my millennial brothers and sisters, you let me down. You've got access to more information than we ever had. You have it better than we ever had. And you're choosing to do stupid stuff, to say stupid stuff. I know that was a broad brush, and I apologize if the shoe doesn't fit. But if it does, then put it on and walk. Sometimes it just comes down to respect. Respect that you have for yourself, respect that you have for your people who talk to you. All that counts. How you carry yourself can be life-threatening. How is your perception? How are you in recognizing and interpreting what your eyes and ears hear, what your nose smells? Do you believe what you see? Sometimes all it is is perception and misconceptions. Let me talk about the traffic stop. If you're a law enforcement officer, you understand what I'm saying. But if you're not, just listen. The only two things that scare a cop to death is coming to your house for a domestic violence call and the traffic stop. The second one, you don't know who you're about to pull over. You're always under the assumption, and it's always wrong to assume, but that's the world that they live in, that the person that you're pulling over could be the person that you have a warrant for, the person that you um, are is exhibiting some behavior or has something that gives you some idea that something's not right. So you're going to pull them over. Usually anybody who has one thing wrong has other things wrong. You kind of learn that. 
What I, what I mean by that? Let's say you're going on a date with somebody and they have really nasty personal habits. They're picking their nose. Their clothes are kind of soiled. They got an odor. How do you think their house is going to be? Really, really clean? Not. That's perception. That's how everybody who has to deal with the public has. So let's go back to the police officer. Traffic stop. You pull somebody over. How that person talks to you, how that person parks their car, how long it took them to get over and be in a safe place, all that stuff goes on the box. A lot of that stuff you don't see when you go to court. Perception is my reality. As humans, we have a tendency to group things together based on how similar to each other they are. Our minds do this on on purpose so that we don't have to continue to reassess. We make judgment calls. A lot of times they're wrong, but sometimes they're right. But you get to the window and you ask the person for their identification, their license, their registration, and their insurance. Do they give you a nod of approval? They're pissed off that you inconvenience them. You get used to all of that. But it continues. What, are, what else are you adding to this equation that might not make it to the video? But as a person, you will see, hear, smell, and taste all the above. That's the stuff that comes out in court that you're never privy to. That's how things happen in the court system. The court system is weird, but it's ours. It's an American thing. And if you don't have the right money, you don't have the best lawyer, stuff happens. Our court system has nothing to do with right or wrong. Is what you can prove with the facts and the cases that are out there. We get spun up sometimes and don't even know the real facts behind it. Yeah, truth. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You still with me? I got a friend of mine who is an expert witness, has been in this game a minute. A guy that I respect a lot. He's going to talk about Trayvon Martin and the Zimmerman issue. He's going to talk about Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. He's going to talk about Philando Castillo. I want you to hear what he says. I'm not trying to change your mind on anything. I'm just providing you information and a different opinion. To be counter to the negativity that's out here. You still have to make your own decisions. You still have to walk your own road. But don't be manipulated to do it. Don't get your passion all twisted. That's all I'm saying. My next guest is Masad Ayub, firearms instructor, expert witness, and friend. Moss, help us understand the deal about the court system. What's the truth behind what happens in the courtroom and what we see on television and here in the streets? What's happening in our courts? Well, basically, the what, what the courts are looking at is evidence. Uh, sadly, what the public looks at is the memes that they get from one particular side. We, we have to remember that, particularly in law enforcement-related shootings, cops learn from the beginning, we don't try our cases in the press. Uh, 
the the grieving family of the deceased after an officer-involved shooting may hire a plaintiff's lawyer, call a press conference, uh, claim that Sonny was assassinated, Sonny was murdered, everyone who pulled the trigger should hang. And the police simply culturally, historically, say we can't discuss it. It will all come out in court. Of the three cases you looked at, there are some similarities and some differences. Uh, certainly, there were racial issues in all three, as seen by the public. Uh, one thing that you saw you know, throughout was the case against is all over television, and it's all the public sees. The case in favor of the defendant in all three cases took a very long time to come out. And it's just human nature. If one side accuses and the accused side remains silent, the public tends to see that silence as a, a, an admission of guilt, uh, like a claim in court of uh, no low contender. I, I do not contest the charge against me. And only law school graduates know that that's not the same as the plea of, uh, of not guilty. Now, looking at the cases one by one, in Zimmerman and actually also in the Ferguson shooting, the shooting of Michael Brown, what you had in both cases was something some of us in the business have come to call Ryan Julison effect. And when I say that, uh, let's go back to 2012. Uh, Trayvon Martin has been killed. The police, as they are putting it together, and uh, George Zimmerman cooperates entirely with the investigation, realize that the fact evidence is exactly in keeping with Zimmerman's account. So being attacked by this man after he'd called the police on him, being down, having his head pounded on the sidewalk, and firing a single shot. The grieving family sees only our 17-year-old unarmed son was killed by someone, and we don't see why. They hired uh, attorney Benjamin Crump, who, uh, for want of a better term, was kind of the Johnny Cochran of Florida. Benjamin Crump contacts Ryan Julison. Uh, Julison is a very well-connected PR guy, and one of his specialties is what's called litigation support. So he takes a picture of Trayvon Martin. Now, remember, at the time of his death, Trayvon Martin was 17. Uh, the evidence showed that he towered over George Zimmerman. But the picture that Ryan Julison brings to all his high-powered press connections in New York is a picture of uh, Trayvon Martin at the age of 12. And he gets hold also of the ugliest, most unflattering picture of Zimmerman that he can get. And at that point, the meme is born. Uh, the innocent uh, 12-year-old child is skipping down the street with his box of Skittles, and he's gunned down to satisfy the bloodlust of the white races. And then they find out, uh, excuse me, but on his driver's license, it says Hispanic. Okay, then a white Hispanic. And somebody says, uh, excuse me, you're ignoring the fact that the George Zimmerman is one-eighth African-American on his maternal grandfather's side. And that part simply, there's no answer, so that's ignored forever. The facts as they were presented at trial proved irrefutably that Zimmerman was the one who was down, the shot angled upward. The man who was shot was leaning over Zimmerman at the time with his garment draping in a fashion exactly consistent with Zimmerman's account and physically impossible to correlate with the state's theory. And that's why the jury acquitted.
but the the power of the one-sided meme was such that to this day, uh, George Zimmerman has to live in seclusion. He still gets death threats, and indeed his whole family uh, lives in hiding from death threats. Now, advanced two years later, uh, the, the Trayvon Martin shooting occurred 2012. Uh, summer of uh, 2014, there is the shooting of Michael Brown by Officer uh, Darren Wilson in Ferguson, Missouri. The evidence clearly shows that Michael Brown, a much larger man, minutes before had physically assaulted uh, an Asian uh, storekeeper half his size uh, while stealing a box of cigarillos. This is unknown to Darren Wilson at the time of the incident, but it kind of shows you what the state of mind of Michael Brown was at the time of the incident. Uh, the evidence clearly showed that Michael Brown was the one who reached into Darren Wilson's patrol car. His hand was on the officer's gun. Uh, Brown's DNA was on the six-hour service pistol, and he had grabbed the gun so tightly it had been pushed out of battery. Uh, the gunshot wound he sustained when uh, he was trying to take the officer's gun and the officer literally shot him off him uh, was near contact distance. Now, at that point, Brown turns and runs. The officer pursues him. This man has just attempted to disarm and shoot a police officer. At that point, Brown turns and comes at him, and that's when Brown opened fire and fired the fatal shots. Now, the gun, the contact of the entirety of the eyewitness testimony and every other bit of testimony shows the fatal wounds were distant gunshot wounds. That is, you know, no, no contact. The contact wound had to have been the one that took the shot fired inside the car, which was utterly consistent with the officer's description of events and totally inconsistent uh, with the meme that had arisen. But the family of Michael Brown is grieving. Their unarmed son has been killed by a white police officer. They hire an attorney. Their attorney reaches out to Benjamin Crump. Benjamin Crump contacts Ryan Julison. Uh, do we start seeing a pattern here, Ken? You know it. So that basically is the, the four figures worth of pages, the enormous transcript of the grand jury hearing of that shooting. Ferguson shooting is available online. Uh, 99% of the people who scream police brutality have never read it, have never seen the actual testimony. The people who are claiming that his hands were up and he screamed, don't shoot, his hands were never up. He never screamed, don't shoot. He was never on his knees as uh, some people claim that he was. And every single witness who claimed that was utterly destroyed in court. They're not in court, but in the testimony uh, in front of the grand jury. Yeah, the general public, having seen, for the most part, only the one side of the meme, says, oh, it must be evil killing our cops, it must be racially motivated, oh my God, what's America come to? Uh, the Philandro-Castile thing is different in that you can see really both sides there. Um, on the one hand, you've got the, the armed citizen who is responsible enough to advise the officer, sir, I'm carrying a firearm. Uh, the officer, you see his hand go proactively to his gun at that point. He says, fine, just don't touch it. Uh, and then suddenly something happens in the front seat of that car that puts the officer in a very heightened state. He draws the gun, he's screaming, don't pull it out. 
and then seven shots are fired, and Philandro Castillo is mortally wounded. Now, we've had from the beginning the uh, the cell phone video that uh, Castillo's girlfriend uh, literally live-streamed from the car seconds after the shooting. This past week, they released the dash cam photography, or the dash cam video from the patrol car, uh, in which you can see the officer's reactions. What we cannot see on either of them is what is Philandro Castile physically doing in the seconds before the shots are fired. Uh, the officer is standing to his left and very slightly forward and would have a good visual perspective on what the hands were doing. Um, had he been wearing a body cam, those answers, we, we might have those answers. But the, the acquittal based on uh, wrongdoing not having been proven beyond reasonable doubt, I think is totally understandable. Uh, we know that uh, uh, Officer Yanez had radioed in earlier that he was stopping a man who more or less fit the description of a suspect wanted for armed robbery. Yet he's very calm during the the opening. Um, when Castile says, I do have a firearm on, or words to that effect, the officer says, fine, just don't touch it. And then suddenly, instantly, something happens in the front seat of that car that escalates the officer to shouting, don't pull it out, don't pull it out. And then the seven shots are fired. Uh, for someone to say, ooh, he did it deliberately, uh, knew he was not in danger, how could anyone with a three-digit IQ believe that when the officer knows he's being videoed on his own dashboard camcorder, witnessed by the man's fiance, witnessed by the child in the back seat of the car, and witnessed by his own partner on the other side of the car? So uh, really, only Officer Yanez knows what he actually saw. We do know that Philandro Castillo had a long history of being a scoff law, or uh, constantly being pulled over by the cops. Uh, of essentially marching to his own drummer and ignoring the law. We know that he was driving with that little girl in the car under the influence of marijuana. And it's probably not a good idea to be driving a car while you're stoned with a little kid in it and the woman you love. And it's probably not a good idea to be reaching for a handgun when the officer knows you have a handgun. And maybe, you know, when you're stoned, you don't think of that. But I can't blame Officer Yanez for that. And that, in essence, is, is my take on it. I think it was a tragedy on both sides. Uh, I think Mr. Castile is a lesson to all of us who carry guns on how to and how not to handle a traffic stop when we're routinely pulled over. So what is the... You've named a couple of things, but what will be a bullet point for how do you actually act when you get pulled over for a traffic stop? Sure. First... Uh, Essentially, Castile originally was doing it fine. He handed over uh, what turned out to be his uh, proof of insurance when the officer asked for license and proof of insurance. Now, some folks have said, well, he should have known if the officer had asked for the driver's license. We think the driver's license was in his wallet. The officer should have realized that it was a wallet he was pulling out. The officer has been handed some ID cards that he hasn't had a chance to look at yet and very likely presumed he'd already been handed the driver's license, and there was no reason to reach for a wallet, and a gun was the only thing coming out. Uh, again, we don't, 
I, I wasn't there. I did not see what the officer saw. What, what we suggest is that you pull over, uh, put the car in park, turn off the ignition, put on the warning lights. Leave your hands where they are visible on the steering wheel. Don't reach for anything until you're asked. When you do that, do so slowly, carefully. If it's at night, turn on the interior lights so no, no reach for identity cards or anything is mistaken as a furtive movement or a movement for a weapon. Uh, if, you go, if you're required to verbally uh, or to notify the officer that you're armed in that jurisdiction, do so. Generally, it satisfies that requirement to simply hand over the carry permit with the license and the registration. Do not reach for the gun. If you're reaching for a wallet, say, certainly my wallet is in this pocket, officer, I'll be reaching to this pocket, and do so very slowly. Above all, if the officer screams at you something like, don't pull it out or don't move, absolutely freeze. And that essentially is the best advice I can give, and I, I think this uh, tragedy underscores that. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate that. You, you gave us some stuff to think about. How can folks reach you if they're looking to find out about more about Masa Yub? Sure. We uh, offer training for law-abiding armed citizens at venues nationwide. Uh, best bet is just go to my website, masadayubgroup.com. That's M-A-S-S-A-D-A-Y-O-O-B group.com. Uh, that will show what we have for a curricula and what we're offering where. Uh, if the listener finds something that interests him or her, hover the cursor over that particular course, and the contacts will come up on screen for the host. The host is the person to reach out to for sign-up, registration, directions, recommended hotels in the, in the venue, and all of that. Outstanding. Thank you, brother. Well, thank you, Ken. I wish you luck. I wish you listeners luck, and I appreciate all of you listening to both sides of this very complicated issue. All right, you got it. And tell Miss Gale I say hi. I sure will. All right, man. Thank you. This portion of the show has been brought to you by the United States Concealed Carrying Association. The USCCA has been providing education, training, and self-defense insurance to responsibly armed Americans since 2003. Join Tim Schmidt and myself here at usconcealedcarry.com. And now for something completely different. Michael J. Whitland on the AR-15. Take it away, brother. Thank you, Ken, and welcome to another Tips and Review segment. I am Michael Woodland of m-wtactical.com, and today we're going to discuss getting down to some training with the AR-15. There is one thing I truly like about the AR-15 or M4 rifle is the multiple functions of the firearm where you can make it more compatible to your style of shooting. What I mean, well, if your rifle has a collapsible buttstock, you can set the length of pull according to what type of shooting you will be doing. You have more options with attachments and placement of those accessories on the firearm. Overall, you can really get down with sighting this rifle in with your own zeroing. For me, I like to zero my AR-15 M4 rifle at 25 meters to simulate a 300 meter zero. If that went over your head, let me try to break it down really quick. If you draw a line from the barrel of the rifle to the target at 300 meters, the bullet will cross that line twice. 
once when the bullet is leaving the barrel going upward, and then again at the 300 meter range when the bullet is starting to come downward. Once the firearm is zeroed to you, everything else is based on technique in which we've been talking about in the past with the handgun. The fundamentals with breathing, trigger pull, sight alignment, and sight picture, and body position still play an important part even with the AR-15 M4 rifle. So let's talk more about getting the rifle zeroed at 25 meters at a certified range where there's an on-duty range officer for safety reasons. Once we have the firing line marked off from the target to the firing position of 25 meters, we will then go ahead and place a target up for the zeroing to begin. There are some targets that have measurements to help you with the math of zeroing your firearm. But remember, each optic and or sight has a different value of measurement, so it will vary with each system. If you do not have the target with measurements on it, you can do the same thing with a large piece of cardboard and making a visible dot or square in the center for your reference point. And we will cover how to do this. Once we have the range all set up and ready to go, we must ensure that we have our ear and eye protection on and ensure there is no one down range in front of the firing line. Once all clear and we have our eye and ear protection on, we can begin. There is a misconception of if you put the magazine on the ground for support while shooting the firearm, it will assist with the malfunction. With my past experience, I have never had a malfunction doing this, but You attempt to lay on the ground and zero the firearm with your elbows only on the ground, you will tire yourself out and you will probably have an improper zero with the rifle. You have to remember the ground is the most stable platform and while using it, you will have more muscle relaxation which gives you more support. In turn, equals less movement with the body to make a more effective shot. When we are laying on the ground with the rifle with our dominant hand or whichever hand you pull the trigger with, you will get a grip around the hand grip without your finger on the trigger. Then, as you place the buttstock into your shoulder, you will discover the way you are laying, it forms a pocket and that is where you will put the buttstock. Next, keeping your head as straight as possible and not leaning it towards the sight or optic. Barely place the tip of your nose to the charging handle. A lot of people frown upon this method, but again, this is a technique to assist with keeping the sight picture when looking down your optic or sight. Next, depending on the length of your body, will be how you lay behind your rifle. When you lay behind your rifle, it is ideal if someone was to stand over you, it will be a straight line from the barrel to your heel of the foot of the trigger finger side. Again, we are different sizes and shapes, but with science, we can make it work for us. If you are a shorter person and you feel that you are stretching to get comfortable, try picking the same side knee of your firing hand up towards the rifle and you should feel a bit of relief and comfort should come into play. For those who use this technique, this is where positioning stops for you. As you are laying on the ground, you want your hips flat on the ground and your legs spread a comfortable distance apart with you getting your heels on the ground as close to the ground as you are comfortable. Again, 
If you are a shorter person and you have that knee hiked up, that is your firing position. The last thing we have to do is take our support hand or non-dominant hand and place it on the handguard in a position where it is comfortable to you. For me, I try to reach as close to the barrel as possible without any stress being applied to the muscles with a comfortable grip. Now, we are ready to send rounds downrange. Tune in next week as we tackle another area of marksmanship for another tips and review segment. Thank you for all those who follow and support the M-W Tactical Facebook page. If you haven't done so, look us up on Facebook and hit the like button and join in on the many discussions that are taking place. We are trying to reach our goal of 2,000 likes before the end of the year. Tell your buddies to get on Facebook and hit the like button on the M-W Tactical Facebook page. For those who are into Twitter, follow us at M underscore W Tactical. If you are more into photos, follow me on Instagram at Munitions Weapons Tactical, where you can get an up-close and personal involvement of my daily life at a shooting range. If you would like to read more about us, do so by going to the newly revamped site of www.m-wtactical.com, where you can easily connect with us on any of the previously mentioned social platforms while reading our blog, viewing future classes, emailing us, or even listening to the current week of the Black Man with a Gun podcast. For those who want a more direct approach, just email us at info at m-wtactical.com or call us at 803-250-1256. Leave a message and we will get back to you so we can discuss whatever is on your mind from shooting classes or just inviting us to come to your upcoming event. Until next week, keep shooting. Keep practicing and have fun. Back to you, Ken. This portion of the show is sponsored by CrossbreedHolsters.com. Crossbreed Holsters has gained national recognition as a maker of the best and most functional concealment holsters available on the market today. Each holster is handcrafted to ensure your firearm is safe and secure while carrying, combined with the best customer service in the industry. Visit CrossbreedHolsters.com. Well, I've said a lot here, and so has Michael. Thank you, brother. Didn't really talk about guns too much. But there's stuff needed to be said. Remember that your life has purpose, so live it. Your story is important, so share it. Your dreams count. Act like it. Your voice matters. Speak it. You were born to make an impact. So do it. This is your friend and brother, Ken Blanchard. And just in case nobody has told you this today, I love you. There's not a damn thing you can do about it. When I was a younger man, there was a song that they sang in church that said, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. The key point to that is when we all get to heaven, you, them, us, the black ones, the white ones, the green ones, the brown ones, the yellow ones, the turquoise ones, you know, all get to heaven. Think about all. And if you're down south, y'all. God bless. One, two, three, four. 
also the black man with a 